0: Welcome to the Mike on Much Podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman. I'm here with my friend and trusty producer, Max Kerman. Hey, how's it going? Also here with pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Hey. So we are recording this on a Monday uh, evening, and uh, a lot has gone on in the last 24 hours. On Sunday night in Las Vegas, um, a shooter from a hotel window... People know, probably. You know, we're not telling you anything you don't know. It's everywhere. And uh, it's seemingly more um, frequent. And this, you know, it's the largest uh, mass shooting in American history. Um, And as someone pointed out, you know, a tweet by Anthony Jeselnik, of all people, you know, until the next one. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, uh, everyone knows the story. There's a bunch of people attending a country music concert, all sort of packed in, and he just unloaded with automatic rifles.
1: Yeah, this is what makes waking up really hard because people just, the first thing anybody does is just check their phone and go on Twitter. And then if there's anything trending that shouldn't be trending, then, you know, your stomach just sinks. I remember finding out about Gord Downey that way. Mm -hmm. It's like, why is Gord Downey trending right now on Twitter? And of course it was terrible news. And then, but this morning actually, uh, Lauren was getting up early to go to school and she said, Oh, there's been a mass shooting in Vegas at a concert and I was like, and then so, but she, but she didn't really have any other details yet. Um, and I was like, oh God, is there is that like a, because I know that I think there's a Life is Beautiful music festival, which is sort of like an indie rock festival, which I know we've tried to get before. And I was like, oh, I wonder if that was the festival. Because I think it's around this time of year. I could be totally wrong. Uh, it turned out it was a Jason Aldean concert. there's was a big country star. But yeah, just heartbreaking, obviously. And then the the next thing you think of is, who is the shooter and at least in my mind, and this is going to maybe sound bad, but it's like, I was like, oh, I really hope it's not a Muslim guy.
0: Well, we're in, you know, it's interesting you say that. Cause I had a similar experience where Danica, I like, she gets up before me and I wake up and she's like, Oh, you know, somebody shot up Vegas last night. It's happening again. I'm like, Oh my God. And because we're in such politically charged times yes. and because, you know, people are going to jump to conclusions and there's already this sort of very partisan. S- swell of groupthink and, 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 you know, reinforcing narratives and, and stereotypes that immediately go, oh, is this an act of terrorism? And is it going to be somebody that, you know, people can point to and say, see, like, it's an issue. And it's such a weird time to sort of, like, be absorbing these things because it fractures what maybe the focus should be or, like, sort of civil discourse in the conversation. Like, immediately, oh, don't politicize it by talking about gun control. And, you know, uh, it, it's not an act of terrorism because it's not somebody that's, you know. A person of ha- color. Exactly. Exactly. And so all of these thoughts kind of swirl around, and because literally this happens now every fucking three weeks, it feels like, we all go into the same routine. It becomes predictable.
2: Is it only a considered terrorism if it's because of race or culture well, being a part of Well, this is what people are
1: saying, is that if it had been a person of color... Yeah. someone from the Middle East, they would have immediately called it a terrorist attack.
2: Is there a, bit- a way to define what terrorism
1: is? Then? I mean, the the textbook definition of terrorism is to what Cause
2: terror? Yeah. <laughs> Cause terror I, I say that's terrorism. Like- yeah,
0: a lot of people too also kind of uh, connect terrorism to an ideology. And so in that sense, if this guy is just an anarchist, is he a terrorist? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. can you be an anarchist and and you're still causing terror? But I mean, these are the fucking semantics that we're we're dealing with instead of just like, you know, it's like we almost immediately move on from the 58 people that are dead and the other 400 that are injured. <sighs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, it's just like, I don't know. Are you guys becoming desensitized where it's like my mm-hmm. mind is going more than my heart when these things happen now?
2: Well, when I woke up, I, uh, I didn't know anything about it really. And then on Dan Blazerian's Instagram, it's him and Steve Aoki kind of working out, having fun, playing in a pool. And then they're like kickboxing. And then it just cuts to him at a country concert. And then it's him filming going, holy shit. Oh, on well, Insta Stories. Insta Stories with oh, bullets wow. flying everywhere. He goes, I just saw a f-ing girl's head get blown off. Her brains were everywhere. And, he, and you hear, J-j-j. he's like, I'm going to get my f-ing gun. And then he goes to get his gun and he comes back and there's just police tape everywhere. And it's almost like, is this a movie? Is this real? And then you look it That was it the first thing you saw. Yeah, that's Jesus. how you kind of alerted to it.
0: I read, uh, I guess, the guitar player in, what's the singer's Jason name? Jason Aldean. Jason Aldean's band wrote this sort of big piece that was like, listen, I've always fought for the second amendment. I've always felt like we should be able to carry guns. But after what I saw tonight, he's like me and my crew, they had guns, but they were useless. We couldn't get them because the police would have thought we were the shooters. He goes, and you realize that when someone has an automatic, here's the thing. If you're not able to buy an automatic rifle, that guy in That's his window it. maybe shoots one or two from that distance. Who knows? He unloads in a, in a concert, they get away. But when you can unload like that, mm-hmm. You're it's not out.
2: guns, it's assault rifles yes. and those semi automatics yeah. I mean, and all it's that. It's
1: objectively a, a ridiculous argument. Uh, the not to hand everybody, hand. though. No, but it, no, objectively speaking, look at the numbers. Like, look at the way U- U.S. citizens can buy guns and the way it's part of their culture and how pervasive that is.
0: So, why but does it, the argument work? Is it just big money? Is well, it lobbyists? Yeah,
1: it's big money. It's lobbyists. It's, it's, um, it's an ideology, it's an ideology that they're selling that is cemented by big money and lobbyists, right? So it's like it's not to say that this was created out of thin air. Like the idea of America is based on liberty and these like you know Ten Commandments or however many there are, but like one of them is the right to bear amendments. Arms. What I like to call them commandments. <laughs> it's I, religion for no, some. No, no, people. no. I specifically said commandments because oh, gotcha. it, it does feel like a religion, and it's and that that is real and that is historical fact. But the way partisan politics has sort of taken over the lives of so many of these people and and th- and that is through advertising and that is through groupthink it's it's objectively going to yield terrible results it keeps on happening
2: can there be a middle ground where you can sure, buy there, where sure you there can, there can buy a guns ground. a gun to me is different than an assault rifle though because you can kill someone if you really want to you can kill someone with a car or a knife you can kill a couple of people, but you can kill a ton of people in a very short amount of time if you have a semi-automatic weapon. Yeah. So it's it's way – it changes the game. Like you need a full SWAT team to take down one guy all of a sudden.
1: Yeah. I guess the only reason why they caught him is because his hotel room's fire alarm was going off. And that's how they figured out what room he was in because of all the bullets. So, okay,
0: so, I mean, and obviously, and again, we're in a political discussion more so than a discussion about victims and motivation and how this happens, but why, why can't. But
2: that's why it happens, because these, this guy probably, I guarantee you, he purchased this gun legally, these assault rifles, and that's why it happened, like. You know, he he might have just been a mentally ill person and there wasn't a lot of rhyme and reason behind it. So we can't get into the psychological aspect too much. And all the victims, it sucks. But really the issue is being able to purchase the guns. Him having that fire. Yeah, I think
0: that's the root problem. So how come people can't meet in the middle and have like, I don't know, civil discourse? Why You know, because here's the thing. What you just talked about, advertising and groupthink about the right, let's say. the influence
1: of the NRA and like. But
0: here's the thing. They think that about the left. They think that everybody's being influenced by celebrities and liberals in Hollywood and like sort of like George Soros and all of this. They think everything that the people on the left think about the right, they think that about the left. So nobody can come together. Of
1: course. And that's okay. And that's fine. People are wired differently and people have sort of maybe like inherent, uh, belief systems based on where they're from. And that's all fine. And I think on a certain level, that is the strength of a country is the diversity and that's all fine. But when we're talking about life and death, it's not fine. Like you have to draw a line somewhere. So it's like, you can argue about this and that there are a lot of things you can argue about it, but when it comes to the amount of deaths per like even handguns in America, it's unacceptable. It's like the proof is in the pudding. It's like, this isn't a subjective uh conversation. This is an objective fact that way more people die in America per capita. So it's so it's like there's not much of an argument to me at least. And I get that like I'm a liberal guy and I was raised by certain types of parents, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, this is this is not a subjective conversation to me at least. I mean someone could probably say, well it is a subjective conversation, but I don't the numbers speak for themselves.
0: Well, I mean, you know, it sucks to say it again, because I feel like we're just doing this with the Ariana Grande concert, but our thoughts are with all of the victims, the victims' families, uh, the first responders, everybody that was there on the ground in Vegas that had to live through this and are going to be living with it for the rest of their lives.
1: Yeah, you know, I saw I, the, the Arkells retweeted a thing from the hotel Mandalay Bay asking if there's any sort of trauma workers or like sort of social services they can come in and donate their time to help the victims. And I was, and Lauren's actually, the reason why she's get up, she's going to nursing school. And just like all the credit in the world to people who work in social service and are civil servants, especially when it comes to just helping people in need, because compared to what the three of us do, you know, they are truly doing God's work and doing the heavy lifting. And uh, yeah, that kind of work really needs to be elevated and respected and not to go on a little tangent here, that's why you invest in communities and why you pay people who work these tough jobs decent wages. Because when you see these support staff who who work in group homes and with um, people with disabilities and, and seeing that they're getting paid barely more than minimum wage, which is the case a lot in America, it's a travesty. It's, it's insulting and it doesn't help grow healthy communities. So more respect to, to people who work in that line of work. I say that as the son of a social worker and high school teacher. I agree. Anyway, on to the next piece of shitty news. So uh,
0: the day keeps getting worse. We just found out within the last hour that uh, Tom Petty uh, has passed away. He had a cardiac arrest late last night and they brought him to hospital. He was on life support, I suppose, for most of today. And then ultimately uh, it did not look like he was going to uh, regain consciousness or... Um, be able to carry on, so they pulled the plug. And so
1: Tom Petty is is no longer around. R.I.P. And, yeah, I just saw him live in concert. We we had a whole episode dedicated to Tom Petty versus Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. It's pretty wild to think because he seemed to be in pretty good shape a couple months ago. He's only
0: 66 years old, you know? And, you know, you think of Tom Petty in the sort of same realm as, uh, you know, the Stones or the Beatles who are much older.
1: They're all... in their mid-70s now. He's definitely a generation later. Like How old's fir- Bruce? Bruce is 65. He's around okay, the same. Yeah. Like they yeah. both kind of became very popular in the 80s. Like, I'd say they're more 80s acts than... like. I think Damn the Torpedoes is 79, which is like his big breakout record. I think his first solo record was 77. I was in the guitar store at Steve's waiting to do this podcast with you. And I could overhear the staff talking, going do we have to close down the store? Like, should we just close the store down for the day? Really? Out of respect. I think they're like half joking, but I was like, that wouldn't be out of place. No. Yeah. He, out of all the legends that have died recently, he's the one that hits home, I think, the most for me personally, just in terms of his qualities as a songwriter. In what sense? Uh, Just like... Uh, who's, I guess, Prince and uh, Bowie. Never, You know what? Never mind. We've lost a bunch of really good ones.
0: I thought you meant personally in the way you write music and Uh, sort of like structure and sort of uh, tone or...
1: Yeah, well, what I took from him as a songwriter is that he's a really simple writer. He, He doesn't like... He's really good, gets to the point lyrically. It's like they all feel amazing to sing. And there's like... There's nothing confusing about it, but, but doing that is the hardest possible thing as a writer of pop songs, which he is, is like, how do you write something that is like three words and that mixed with the right melody and chords is the most impactful thing? Like, I like, won't back down. Won't ba- I won't back down. You to
0: distill that idea, distill even that.
1: in writing copy, you know, like yeah, we you talk about are, this
0: all the time. Yeah. It's
1: like, boil it down. You it's know like, what I mean? I'm free falling. Yes, I'm free-falling.
0: We know what he's
2: saying.
1: Yeah, boom. It's like, what, what are the other ones? Uh, like the, All of his songs are like that.
2: Yep. Um, I only know those two, but yeah.
1: yeah. Well, you know, Running Down a Dream. I'm running down a dream.
2: There's more. What's the that one person. where he's dressed as Alice in Wonderland? Or It's Like He's in That? That's a good song. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, I Don't Come Around Here No More. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I got the melody you wrong. You know, right uh, learning to fly. That's learning another Teddy song. Uh, we're not going to do the... <laughs> we
0: did this a <laughs> we couple, couple weeks ago. Yeah. Well, he's been on a couple... We talked about mm-hmm. him on a couple of pods. I mean, and
2: again, it, it's it's surprising and it's shocking. And is, <laughs> If this happened 10 years from now, would it be sad still? Like, is this something that would always be sad? I think for people...
0: Anybody that you've grown up with that's just kind of part of the fabric of uh, pop culture, like, Mm -hmm. everybody knows Tom Petty songs, you know? Anytime somebody like that that passes away, people are going to have a personal connection. They're going to go, oh, man, like, the first date I went on, I was making out to a Tom Petty song, or however they connect to it over the sort of, you know, uh, story of their life, it will be sad for people. But I think there's definitely... Maybe not all loss is created equal in the sense that if you've lived a long, full life, then it's like, ah, uh, you know, yeah, like, it's, it's, it's sad to die at 80, but it it was a good run.
1: Yeah, the loss is heightened, I think, with if the younger they get. Like, I mean,
2: half, I, half just died. Did that affect you at all? No. Not no? one bit.
0: <laughs> uh, not one bit. So, uh, obviously, we started off- um, A very grim note. With a lot. So, our hearts are with everybody uh, in Las Vegas, uh, and we're obviously very sad to lose Tom Petty, who gave us all a bunch of great songs and memories. Um but yeah. What else is going on, fellas? Well, we got let's, to, let's try we, and yeah, let's pick it yeah. up. We,
1: we got to witness you host the uh, Letter Kenny table read.
2: I, yep. oh, right. At At I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, uh, it's that's uh, just for laughs. Yeah.
2: At the Tiff Lightbox. That's what I meant. To yeah. Say. That uh, seemed. Like you had a little bit less heavy lifting than you might have thought you would have had to do. I, I prepped
0: yeah. for more heavy lifting, but mm-hmm. then the so for our listeners, and uh, some of them came out, uh, our friend and listener Julie, uh, who drove down with her husband from Collingwood to check out the show. It was cool getting to meet her and him. Um so uh, I did do a little bit less uh, heavy lifting. So I prepped for 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 more, but they were for the first time ever doing a table read of one of their episodes, uh, like a live script reading. And so I introduced the whole cast. I kind of hyped the crowd as the host. I come out. And then we you look st- very host-like, by the way. Mm-hmm. I wanted to say yeah. your hair
1: look cool, the glasses. Oh. <laughs> Put on a suit. You're hosting <laughs> the end of the late show. <laughs> It's good. Baby steps.
0: Uh, so I ended up, uh, you know, bringing the cast out. They do the table read. I go and sip aside Webmaster Dan. Uh, and we take in the sort of table read. You guys both came out. Shane of course. And Max, I appreciate and, and Ash as well, uh, which was nice t- for you guys to, to support yeah. the endeavor. And again, like we say this all the time, but like Jared and the rest of that cast, Nate, like Kedrev, Michelle, they're so great. And everybody else, like, uh, they're so cool to like, kind of like just be around with and sort of collaborate with like in the, in the green room before. And then you come out. They do their table read, and then it's time for me to do questions. We're also throwing to a clip later, so I've got like my order of business. And how many questions
2: did you have prepared? I had four, like oh, okay,
0: four built in because I knew I had to. There was like eleven. It, this is like an eleven-person cast, and they all had to sort of be able to answer a question, which is fine. They're very democratic that way.
2: That's and, tricky though, because one question can last twenty minutes. Well, the idea this is what was um, we started off with this
1: one question how did you guys uh, get on the show to begin yeah. with? And that was a question we had thought about. Yeah. And and that was the way we'd get each one of them to say their piece. And then we'd get to more questions. Focus in. in on, right, on, yeah. On, on yeah. Jared mostly.
0: Totally. Yeah. So, but by the time like 11 cast members answer how they all came to the show... We were basically up for time. So, and I, you know, like part of the, part of those jobs is kind of managing the clock, get it like feeling it being like organic. Cause if you get too stiff or try to stick to your thing, mm-hmm. it's weird. Or if you're not loose enough. So knowing that time was up, I was like, I basically just have to ditch these other three kind of questions, throw to the clip, mention there's merch in the lobby and keep it moving. Well, I want to
1: apologize to you as the producer, Mike, I haven't talked to you about this yet, but uh, we had a phone call as we do before, uh, before the show going over the questions. And I said, you know, uh, I think that first question to get everybody involved will feel really good because, you know, when one of these actors, which is working actors, gets to be on a show like this, and that becomes really successful and popular, it's very serendipitous, you know, that I'd love <laughs> yeah. to hear about their story. And so, Mike, and you're like, yeah, it is serendipitous. It can uh, seem serendipitous it, it when you just, look back on how you all you came together. you look back together. on yeah. how all these things came to be, because I love hearing these origin stories about, you know, how, how people get their break. So then you opened with that question and you said the word serendipitous. And then the first thing Jared says back to you is like, I don't really know what serendipitous means. <laughs> that was hilarious. And then, every, and then like two more people were like, like, I like, I don't a, know what serendipitous means. Well, one means. guy it was said like he had bit. to Google it. Oh yeah, yeah. it turned into a bit. So I felt like an idiot because- uh, Oh,
0: it, no, it gave juice to the thing. The minute Jared jumped on that, I was thrilled because I'm like, at least this will be entertaining. Because sure. that's all you... For that theater full of people, it's like some stuff can become sort of long-winded. And it's like it, little moments like that are the stuff that stands out where you genuinely yeah, have you love it. with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, they totally. all
2: turn that question into a very funny answer. I was I not expecting it to yield such... Good results. Like I was laughing my ass off. I was like pushing you, and we were like slapping well, though, each the, other. The
1: hockey guys, they're uh, great. Oh my so god! The
2: guy with the long hair. What's his name? Uh, I don't know, but he's off. Awesome. Dylan Playfair, I think. Dylan yeah. Playfair. That guy was hilarious in the way he told his origin story, too. which is the best, yeah. my favorite kind of comedy. Yeah, he just kept
1: on going with his answer, but it was mm-hmm. cool. Like I loved. I, that question ended up being great because there's there's like three or four that are just like kind of simple auditions. My agent called me and they got on the show. Yeah, but there's a bunch that are like, oh, I did something. I played on a hockey team with Jared, or you know, it was it was cool. I loved hearing that inside baseball stuff.
0: Yeah, it was great, and uh, I love doing it. So thanks for uh, to Sarah McLaren for thinking about us and uh, getting and shouts to Jared
1: for giving us a huge shout yeah. at the end of the thing. He did. Uh, yeah, he went out of his way to be kind. So about the
0: podcast. Stand-up. Stand-up.
2: Yeah. And who's uh, <laughs> who's the other Nathan? right is the other ones yeah, yeah and nathan dales yeah well i uh i got to meet him after and i thought he would think i was meeting him for the first time and i went to shake his hand and he came up he's like hey we've met at five times and he came up and gave <laughs> me a hug <laughs> i was like wow that's awesome like they're both the nicest guys with apparently photographic memories
1: yeah
0: they're great yeah yeah i ended up partying with uh nathan dales like I wanted to ask you about that. Oh man. it was great times. Like so you with, went with to most of the cast, and then you- I went to Burbigley and then I went back and I had a few drinks because Sarah McLaren still had the tab open, if we're being honest. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then we like took it to the ballroom, we bar hopped and it was great. Wow. And like, uh, yeah, like Nate was rolling in with like jugs of beer and like, uh, yeah, we ended up at this place with bottle service. Like they Is are... he
2: getting recognized everywhere?
0: It, we, everyone was pretty insular, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It wasn't like people were like coming up. So it was like the whole gang kind of stuck together and they were like the funnest people to party with because they they party like us, man.
2: Did they get drunk? yeah wow how many drinks (laughs) we're bar hopping (laughs) i'm so so curious (laughs) well come out with us next time i know i know you're not drinking but you come hang yeah maybe next year Uh,
0: (laughs) but anyway so we want to thank them for having us uh and it was a great time would you say you're buds with them now
2: like (laughs) did you exchange numbers
0: oh no no i I wasn't gonna be like give me yo give me your digits man let's uh, what are you gonna be Mm. you know
1: he's in toronto now too nate you
0: said but i'm not like i'm not that guy that's gonna be like you know hitting
1: people up to hang it's like And I got the champagne boys. There you go. There's only so many social hours in the day.
0: That's what my wife says all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks so much again to Letter Kenny, guys. That was a great time. Um, Guys, today on the show, we got actor Kyle McLaughlin. It's huge. Of Dune fame, Twin Peaks fame. Portlandia fame. That's right. Sex in the City fame. Blue Velvet, I think is the best movie. Blue Velvet fame showgirls fame. (laughs) The guy is a legend. He's uh, somebody that people are very, uh, I think, very excited uh, to listen to. I know when we posted on the socials that we were interviewing him, Maxie, people were like, oh my God, Agent Dale Cooper, and sort of responding to us. It was cool. And so to set this up a little bit, as a lot of our listeners know, we were at a bachelor party in Miami... Florida, South Beach for our friends, Sean Dawson and Matt McPeak. And this interview came up as part of TIFF, Uh, you know, as an opportunity where it's like, oh, would you guys be interested in talking to Kyle McLaughlin about uh, the finale of Twin Peaks? We were like, shit, we know we fly in the day that this interview is happening. This could be a real stretch. But we were like, we're doing this. It, like, it's happening. It basically happened right after we got off the plane. Yeah. And we, like, rushed to this interview, which was at the Ritz-Carlton, uh, downtown Toronto. And uh, we literally came in off of, like,
1: a night out in Miami. and But prepped. You know, he's not the kind of guy you want to see after you've rolled in from a four-day bachelor trip <laughs> and you haven't slept anything. you <laughs> just drank, like, a thousand beers. He has and a then, dignity to him. He was mm-hmm. dignified. Not only is he dignified, but he's also... At least... 20 years older than us but looks like 70 times better than us. Right? <laughs> like <laughs> That's true. He's he just like, you know, he's got this like suit on. He's like, he, you can tell he's kind of jacked. He's got he's like great gray hair, great hair, perfect mm-hmm. skin, like all that stuff. And we were just like wearing sweatpants probably and just looking like yeah, a bag of shit. We got like a, yeah, like the sunburn, we're chafing. Uh, and, uh, but we come in
0: and uh, so w- one thing that happened, so we came in, we told him straight up, we're like, we literally just got off a plane from Miami but we weren't missing this interview for the world.
1: Then he was like, like bros before hoes. <laughs> he did not say that yeah.
0: oh. he was like he was like oh south beach like he was yeah. he, he was engaging so this thing was kind of like a junket setup so we had to like go in with all our gear which kind of awkward it was like a a setup room and in these junket setups you kind of get a set amount of time and you've gone in after like oh the global mail was just in here or e was just in here so you're kind of part of a bit of a car wash we were the last interview of the day we go in um there was a kind of like, we were a little low on batteries on the our recording device and it can be a little bit glitchy. So I like hit record, we sit down, we do like a bunch of our preamble. We talk about uh, South Peach a little bit. He's being really nice about it. Uh, we talk a little bit about the finale of Twin Peaks, which I hadn't seen yet. And so I was like, no spoilers, uh, Kyle. I'm like, you know, so you miss a bit of that banter. I realized that the recorder had like stopped maybe like 10 seconds into recording. So I panic, started again, it stops again, I'm now like sweating because what in this situation, I don't want to let him know that I'm uncomfortable because Max and I are there. We're building a rapport and it's very calm. In you there and You want the it, flow to be good. Yes. Yeah. So, but in my brain, it's like a hell storm and I'm going, what am I going to do if this thing goes off one more time? And I said, if this recorder goes off, so I'm watching it, right? I got my earphones in. I'm like, if this goes off one more time, fuck it. I'm pulling out my iPhone, and I'm going to just do the iPhone like it's like a microphone. Like I'm yeah. gonna, Would you tell him.
2: him you're doing it or just seamless? I would try to keep it
0: completely, like, just a normal part of the interview. Yeah. Just <laughs> with your phone, looking at him? <laughs> well, no, no, no. I was going to hold the, the, the iPhone like a microphone. So I'd be ah, like, so, Kyle, yeah. when you worked with David Lynch, and then, you know, hold mm-hmm. it up to his mouth. So anyway, it held the third time. And so that's where you're going to hear it from. It's basically like... Right as we're talking about David Lynch, that's where we jump in. Uh, but he said he talks about so many sort of fascinating things. He talks a lot about Twin Peaks, what it means to people, what it means to him, what it's like to work with David Lynch, um, what he hopes people sort of like take away from that show going forward, uh, meeting his wife, uh, Sex in the City, all sorts of stuff. So I think it's a really great interview for anyone that wants to... Uh, yeah,
2: this is a top five guest. This is huge. You're a big Twin Peaks fan, right, Shane? Of course. And I love Blue Velvet. It's yeah. one of my favorite movies. It's amazing.
0: Uh, do you guys want to get to Kyle o'clock yeah. Let's do it. When we talk to actors who've had the opportunity to work with acclaimed directors, you know, like we're always curious um, to really hear about, I guess, the temperament of a director on set. Mm. What is
3: David Lynch like? He is um, one of the kindest, um, most easygoing and yet focused and very specific directors I've ever worked with. The, um, The whole environment is one of a creative joy and just you can't have a better feeling for actors as actors um, in which to create than the one that he brings with him.
1: Well, we talked to Richard Linklater and he he seemed, have you ever worked with Richard Linklater? No, I haven't. But I he seemed to he is, be a really like emotionally available kind of person, like a very right. laid yeah. back. And, and you, I, I play in a band and, you know, there's a lot of stories about uh, producers of records who, maybe are like super intense and made the band do a thousand different takes, but you realize a lot of the good ones are actually just really good to be around and encouraging and nurturing of the talent they're working with. It brings
3: out the best in people, certainly of a creative person, I think to sort of not, I mean, people work differently. You know what I mean? Oliver Stone works in a certain way. You know, David Lynch works in a different way and David is much more about just creating this environment in which creativity can flourish, you know, and Mm -hmm. people are allowed to experience and feel these things. Yeah, absolutely. That, well, I mean, yeah. it's interesting. Like It's almost like the old like company
0: mentality of actors and theater. And it's like, do you want to sort of develop like this familial, like sort of feeling on set? Right. Is that how things worked with Twin Peaks?
3: Yeah. I mean, obviously a lot of the people that were returning, I mean, everyone returned that could. And then um, the other actors that were there for the many of them had worked with David before, um, and we s- were so excited and got the drill, you know. And then it was fun to watch the newcomers come in and, you know, a lot of uncertainty on that first day. What's David gonna be like? Am, am I gonna, you know, be okay? Is he gonna, is he gonna, what's he gonna do? You know, <laughs> yeah, sure, and sure. So I remember Belushi was saying, you know, he was just really to know and came in and, and David puts everyone at ease like that's the first thing, you know, and just welcomes them in, tells them how grateful he is that they're there and, and looking forward to the working process. So he, he welcomes everybody in to the family. Do there. you think he's aware of like the fact that maybe he
0: is intimidating or perceived as eccentric?
3: Um, a good question. I, I, I don't know. He has always just been David to me, you know, right. and, um, and as a person, he's incredibly accessible and uh, easygoing and fun and a uh, great sense of humor. Um, at the same time, we all acknowledge that his vision is, is singular, you know, and, mm. and unusual. And um, everyone gets really excited by that because it's different than anybody out there. There's nobody like him. As an actor, do you
0: prefer sort of a collaborative direction, meaning you want to be able to give your own notes, your own takes, or are you fine with working with a director who says, hey, my way or the highway, this is how I envision the role?
3: Um, You know, I like the ability to work um, and share ideas back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. that works best for me, but I'm, I'm flexible. I'm, you know, I'll work with anybody and then however we do it, we're going to do it. Um, <laughs> but with David, um, you know, he's, he's pretty specific. It's already there in the script for the most part. I mean, that's the thing. That's the, that's the, that's the blueprint. Um, and then it's just about bringing that to life. And so we, we collaborate in a very easy way just to, you know, the, the direction is, uh, is gentle, a few words maybe, and just some thoughts. Um, and uh, it was, um, the, some of the great directors I've worked with, I worked with Alfonso Cuaron on a pilot script and very very much the same way. Just just kind of, just, just, these are the thoughts and kind of just, and if he had direction, he came in and he'd say, oh, maybe a little bit of this. It was really about shading more than hammering. You know sure, I mean? yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. I mean, coming back after 20 years for such a sort of beloved and and cult piece, mm how hyper-aware are you guys? Like, I guess the point is, like, is I'm trying to make is it's risky. And when you guys yeah. are making it, do you see there's like a, a positive challenge or is it like with a bit of trepidation and like, oh man, people really love this thing? Right. I think we
3: all felt... Um, we know people love the original. Um, we're fans of the original. But um, upon reading, and not everyone got a chance to read the entire script, but upon reading it, um, I was very much aware that these were new stories and a new direction, which was exciting as opposed to a a nostalgic return to something that people, some people wanted to go back there and relive that and experience that again. And I said, that's not what this is going to be. And I hope that they're okay with it. (laughs) Um, And most people were, you know, they went on the journey with David Lynch. They're David Lynch fans. I mean, you can make a, you can draw a pretty distinct uh, um, difference between the David Lynch fans and people that were, um, sort of Twin Peaks fans, but not necessarily David Lynch fans. So there were two different camps. But um, those that got it and w- were following David were were very much along for the ride and very very interested and loved everything that was that was happening. And I think we all felt like while we were revisiting a territory that was much beloved from the, yeah. from the past, we still were um, aware that it was going to be new. And I was very much aware of that because I was obviously doing new characters yeah. in the show so
0: when you know you mentioned hopefully people are along for the ride and they've enjoyed it and I think they absolutely have mm. how aware are you of reviews do you read reviews as an actor
3: um i'll read um i read a lot of the writings actually and was there were more um it was it was kind of obvious i i recognized early on that what we were making was something very unusual and different and not absolutely. for everyone yeah um whether it was good or bad was you know someone's point of view I didn't really care but most of the reviewers that I read the ones of of, that I think were that whole merit were um, very interested in what was being made and what it meant and what it was saying to them and they were writing about it in very interesting ways and it wasn't like oh this is terrible oh, this is great it's just like wow this made me think like this this made me feel like this this is something I've never seen before this is unbelievable they were all Positive. Yeah, they're um, like recap think pieces more so than yeah. critiquing. Like, yeah, yeah. Whether you know this part of it fell down, this didn't. It's like no, we're just looking at it like this, like a like an art artist's. Uh, I don't know, like a, like a, he was, David was doing, um, you know, a, a series of paintings, 18 paintings, you know? So it was sort of like that. So, and there was some fascinating stuff that was being written about it. Yeah. Stuff that I learned, I learned from, I it. was like, oh, that's an interesting way of looking at that. Or that's an interesting way of looking at that. So
0: that's the best one I think shows can do that where, you know, everybody looks at the same painting, if you will, right. and they all see something different or it yeah. speaks to them in different ways. That's
3: exactly what David's intention was, I think.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Max is a huge fan of, uh, Port- Portlandia. That's true. Awesome. That's my actual introduction. No, I mean, I've seen you in many other right. films, but that's the first thing that sticks <laughs> out.
0: Yeah. How, so how does that come about? Yeah.
3: How do you get to know? Uh, that? that was crazy. That was a call from um, Fred Armisen. And um, the first two is Fred Armisen, Carrie Brownstein, and um, Andrew Singer, who's a producer, and John Kreisel, who's the director. So they reached out to me and said they were doing a sketch show called Portlandia in Portland, and they wanted me to play the mayor. And I said, okay, but am I the mayor, mayor or whatever? I, I didn't really know what, what, what it was. They were trying to explain it to me and I, I wasn't getting it. But I said, you know what? I'm in. You guys are great. Were they fans of Twin Peaks? They were fans of Twin Peaks. Oh God, that's what yeah. I assumed. Yeah, there might have been a, certainly a connection. Yeah. There. Um, and um, and I think they knew that I... Because I'm, I'm up for, you know, different experiences. So this seemed like something kind of fun and I'd never done that kind of show before because it was when we started it was improv based I mean there were just ideas and we ran with them you know and and that's how we start that's how it started and I was like okay sure and then the mayor kind of just Sort of sprung. So are you life. riffing
1: in some of those? A lot scenes? of those, yeah. Really?
3: Yeah, yeah. Not so, not so much later. Like we were now in. We just finished season eight, and a lot of that is scripted. It became more scripted as it went along, just out of necessity. Sure. But the first three, four, five years, even there was there were you know some scenes that were written. My favorite one is when my very very first day, I have a three page monologue that I've been working on, and I've tried to remember, and I've pretty much got it down. You know, it's like, and this was a lot of work. So I'm like, I get to work and I've got it there and then Fred's there. And I'm like, all right, Fred, this is a long one. I feel pretty good about this. He said, oh, oh yeah. Well, don't worry about that. Here, here's some other ideas. And I was like, <laughs> I just spend hours. I did all my prep. I'm like, oh my god! So it was. Uh, it Does was he a- make you laugh a lot on set? Yeah, because I don't yeah. know how
1: you'd be able to keep a straight face because no. his because you can tell that he's improvising a
3: lot. And oh, he is. You just
1: can't predict the things that are going to come out of his mouth. No,
3: it's when we're, the three of us are together. When Fred, Kerry, and I work together, there's um, the goal is really to make somebody laugh. <laughs> you know, and I rarely, once in a while. If you get a snort from Fred, <laughs> you—that's high praise. Sure, you know, you like you like you won. I won that round. Yeah, but that was very rare. Oh wow! <laughs> you usually got the snort out of me. I'd that's love funny. to see the outtakes. Though. I hope oh, they're gonna
1: put the put those out sometime. That's a really good idea. Yeah, a lot of bloopers. Yeah. Yep.
0: You've had a lot of signature roles, and. Uh, you know, for instance, Max Portlandia, Max's girlfriend knows you from Sex in the City. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. I, I watched showgirls a lot in the 90s as a young man. <laughs> I'm uh, sure you did. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> uh, huh. When someone comes up to you on the street, they maybe recognize you. Can you yeah. kind of suss out what they know you from right away? Can you
1: profile um, the person about to talk to you? It's like, I know who this
0: person yeah, is. Yeah, I,
3: I feel like I I try to do that. And I'm yeah, 50-50, really, to be honest, <laughs> you know. Um, sometimes I'm surprised. You know, someone will say The Hidden. I'll be like, oh, my God, you like The Hidden. Wow, that was, that's a really good movie. But it was a long time ago and not many people saw it. But, um, you know, so I'm always, yeah. I'm surprised too. With
0: all the, like, all the roles that you've done, where do you think Agent Dale Cooper sort of is oh, on, he's t- on hierarchy. the
3: hierarchy? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so. Um certainly my favorite. Um, and with this latest, uh, series, um, of 18 hours, the Cooper, Mr. C Dougie yeah. trio was just, I don't, I've never, never had the opportunity to do that before like that and to play those kind of characters. And, and I was overall pretty pleased with the way it turned out. So I, I, that to me right now is kind of where it, it's the high point.
1: Related to that though. Um, more people probably watch Sex in the City than Twin Peaks, just numbers wise. Yeah. You no, know, Sex and the yeah.
3: City, I think, is one of those that's almost like I love Lucy. Right? It's on somewhere. It's, it's on the somewhere all the, time. All, the time. <laughs> all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but your
1: your role in that was smaller. Do you right. feel as connected to that show, even though more people might know you from that show, like in the you know
3: common? Um, I'm connected to comedy? it, but you know, not n- not to the same degree that uh, with Twin Peaks, obviously. And I think. Um, listen that was a great opportunity um, on a number of levels one was that we were filming in New York and I had just met the woman who's going to become my wife but we weren't married yet and so it offered me a chance to be in New York ah, cool. for a greater period of time than I would have otherwise so that was pretty fantastic but um, the um, but but the show was was phenomenal you know the first of all the 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 writing on the show and the idea and the concepts were, unbelievable. And then the girls were great. You know, it was really, that That experience was terrific. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You never know what someone's experience is on set or how,
1: how f- closely they feel, you know, kinship with the, the writers. or the, Right. So it's interesting to know that sometimes the big ones are also.
3: Yeah. Michael Matthew King, Jenny Bix. Uh, there was a mm-hmm. whole slew of the writers there that were just really, and they all, all have gone on to other things, but they were just so clever. I, I, I it's r- good writing oh, to me is still like, I'm, profoundly moved that someone can actually do that because it's not in my wheelhouse at all. You've never dabbled in writing? No, I've tried. It's not worth doing yet. <laughs> it's <laughs> not, not worth, worth talking <laughs> about. No. I think I'm I think I found my place. I'm happy with it as an actor interpreting. Yeah. It's interesting
0: <laughs> that uh you you met your wife while shooting the show and that, you know, that experience brought you there for that moment in time for yeah. things to meet up. I'm always fascinated by where life brings us in the sense that, you know, I think it was Joe Walsh from the Eagles I saw in a documentary oh, yeah. saying, you know, life when you're living, it seems like random and chaos. But when you look back, it seems like this finely tuned tapestry, like the novel of your life, like you had to be in New York at that time. Right?
3: How much do you believe in the idea of sort of fate? I do. I mean, I, I think it plays a, a, strong, it was a strong part of our lives, I think. Um, and you can influence that, I think, um, at least I feel like I can by just setting in motion things in your mind like this. I have a goal here. I'd like to do that, you know, and, and then, you know, just thinking about it, moving towards it and, you know, just trying to push against it a little bit. And those things, um, if, if that's not where you end up ultimately you've setting, you're setting yourself in motion, which is really important and you will end up where you need to end up. I think I do believe in that.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Well, you've had like a a long and illustrious career. Were there times where you felt Ugh, this isn't happening, or it's not going the way I want. Like, were there frustrating
3: setbacks? Sure. sure, yeah, yeah. There were a lot of times when just you know, work wasn't coming that I wanted or um, was excited about. And you sift through and you find something, and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to do this, and you you make the best of it, you know, and you work hard and try and find something in there that's worthwhile and uh, um, stay the course. It just working is the most important thing is whenever actors ask me, what can I, you know, any advice I say, just work, just work. You can do something and keep working. Yeah. Cause it will lead to other things. It's that in motion theory, you know, it's like if you're working, okay, it may not be the thing you really want to be in or want your friends to see necessarily, but you're doing something and someone may see it. And that may lead
0: to something else. So. Yeah. Be in motion, make moves. Cause it leads to other moves. Yep. Get in motion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I guess lastly, as we're wrapping up, yeah. and, and as Twin Peaks has come to a close, and I believe I read, because again, I didn't want too many spoilers, that you said that there's probably not going to be...
3: Well, there have been no discussions. Right. So, and that's not a thumbs up or a thumbs down. just just no one's talked about it. So I don't know what's going to happen, but that's where we are right now. So, so- without, with, with without getting anyone's hopes up, it's just there'll be no discussions about it yet. I don't know where they are. I don't know what they're thinking.
0: So if this is the end, what do you want people to take away from Twin Peaks and, uh, Agent Dale Cooper?
3: You know, everyone's going to have a different experience. (laughs) Um, and I really believe that based upon the 18 hours that I've seen. Um, I hope that they, I hope that they are open to the idea of that journey Uh, Yeah, because it's a, you know, it's a commitment, but I do think it's it, there's things in every episode that people are going to like just be, I mean, overwhelmed by, I think an experience that is important. So I would say, um, yeah, I would say if you're up for it, take that journey, <laughs> <laughs> go on that trip. Do you have anything to add, my friend? No, I'm this is, thank you very much. Yeah, this awesome. It's awesome.
1: Nice to be here. Nice to talk to you guys.
0: Yeah. Really appreciate your time, man. Of of thank you so much. Please. My pleasure. Welcome to The Desserts. We are here with our friend and pop culture aficionado, Shane. This is your segment. What do you got
2: for us? Well, I'd like to talk about something that kind of bummed me out last week. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, so... Does this involve Max or I? I feel nervous. It involves you guys. It involves a bunch of things, actually. I'm not mad. I was just more (laughs) sad. Disappointed. Angry. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like, I'm not mad.
1: I'm just I'm sad, angry, furious.
2: <laughs> so it's kind of hard to frame, give context, but our friend Sean Menard recently did a documentary. And for our listeners, we've talked about Sean Menard. He did The Carter Effect at TIFF. So I was kind of asking him for tips on his success because he reads a lot of self-help books. So after I saw him with LeBron and Drake, I'm like, Sean, send me books that'll make me successful like you. <laughs> so he sent me uh, one called "Speak Like Churchill, Stand Like Lincoln," and one called "Talk Like Ted." It's about all the people who do TED talks. So I was like, "Oh, this is perfect!" It kind of every, everything's about how to speak, how to tell a story properly, and that's what I do on the pod. Yeah. so I'm like, "You're good at it. I, I this will thought. help me with my uh, my job." You know, now that I'm, I have a baby on the way. I'm more paranoid about being laid off. You know, I'm not drinking. Maybe the stories are going to drop anything. Could the pod like lay me off? (laughs) So so last week I got really paranoid that I was just a a bore, right? So I planned the dessert so hard. I bought this book brand new just recently and I started just to show you guys, but... There's like six pages of notes. Yeah. So I'm still going to the other notes. So... I plan it. Then I type it out. I reorganize my notes. Holy shit. Then I go to memorize it like a, like a we would a wedding speech when we're emceeing. Mike and I do emceeing since yeah. wedding. And you know how extensive that is, right? I do. So I'm like, okay, this is going to be great. This is going to go over so well. Uh, the day that I'm going to do my big epic dessert, I go play basketball in this local community center with a bunch of kids. They're not high school age. Maybe they're like 1920, but they don't really respect me all the time <laughs> on the court. Like sometimes they call me the N-word. Like it's weird, right? Like I'm white and they call, they call me just the N-word. how these kids talk though when they're, they're trash talking. It is, but yeah, yeah, it's a little jarring for me. Sure. So we're playing American and American basically it's like one-on-one versus everyone. I'm playing with four other guys and it's a very uh, exhausting game. So and, if you have the ball, you can't pass I've it to anybody. And I've been berated like this entire day, and these guys have beaten me. Do you, do you tr- talk trash back to them? Absolutely not. I don't yeah. talk trash. That's <laughs> not my game. I can get mad. I can say, don't you call me the N-word, but I don't talk trash. I try not to. <laughs> Good. So there's this NBA prospect. His name is Ronaldo Dixon. He's really an amazing player, and all these kids look up to him. So he comes to just sit and watch our game of American. So I go, I'm going to kill these kids now. <laughs> and like when I play really psychotic, I cannot be beaten. Like Mike knows back in the day, like I used to like be much better than I am now. But so I just start dismantling all of these kids in this epic match where I go way above my level of fitness or my skill level. Just <laughs> And I was telling myself, you know, I'm doing this for my future child and I want to school these kids in front of this NBA player. But after the basketball, I'm like, oh, shit, this is my big dessert. Yeah. That I'm supposed to do for you guys. (laughs) And I'm exhausted and my brain isn't really functioning. My head's like throbbing. My memorization isn't like it was before I went to basketball. You exerted all this energy. So I get to do uh, the dessert, but we do an opening first, right? We did, yeah. And- my brain's just not working, and you guys are making all these music references. Easy stuff. Like you mentioned a rush song, and I my brain flipped it to like a stick song. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if you were doing yeah. a bit or if you're really that ignorant. No, my I'm telling you, my brain wasn't firing on any <laughs> cylinders. So then when the dessert happens, I'm like trying to like rifle through my notes to give me little reminders because I've forgotten everything I had planned. And then I just start drooling on and <laughs> on the longest on dessert and on ever. and max he's a busy man and you always have to go somewhere he was in after. the studio that night and mike is very um like your eyes are always like come on buddy you can do it like <laughs> you always motivate me right I to encourage and you. max's eyes are always like get to the <laughs> point <laughs> i gotta go right <laughs> So you always make me so nervous because you have no (laughs) attention span either. So if it's not very funny, your eyes will dart or whatever. (laughs) So so I'm just like, oh, my God, this is the worst bomb I've ever done. Like dessert wise in terms of story, it clocked in at almost 25 minutes, which (laughs) is very long. And at the end of every dessert, Max says, that was great. That's just something you say. But then you, you're just like quiet. And you're like, ooh, I might have to edit that one down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, oh man, and, and you're very busy. So I ended up having to edit it down. Thank you for doing yeah. that, by the way. And I knew you just want mm-hmm. control of your own uh, opus, your, you know, four-hour design. It wasn't opus. Exactly. A, appropriate word. So afterwards, I'm really inordinately down on myself. So I go to the bus and I start looking up Michael Jordan's worst games. <laughs> like I'm, I'm trying to and then I find out he actually didn't really have that many bad games and just starts talking about how great he is. So then I'm like, okay, Babe Ruth, he he struck out more than any player ever, but he also hit the most home runs. I'm trying to make myself feel good. And then I'm like, ah, no, I'm going to look at uh podcast reviews, right? Because those a lot of times I get mentioned in those. People love you. So so I go to uh check out the review. Dan, I know he's very diligent on this, so he knows what I'm talking about. I don't know. I don't know either. And I was hoping... Did Webmaster Dan just say, oh, no? I heard an oh, no in the room. Okay. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, sweet. There's a new review. I get all excited. I go down to it. The subject heading is Love Mike and Max exclamation <laughs> point. Oh jeez. <laughs> like, okay, they clearly just left me out. I'll be in the body somewhere, yeah. some something that's positive. I'll just read it right now. There you go. I am really enjoying Mike and Max's thoughtful interviews. Nice to hear well-researched questions and effort to shake things up. I am really not a fan of Shane, however. <laughs> and he doesn't seem to fit in with these two other gentlemen. <laughs> Love from your Arkellians. The Frank Turner interview is stellar.
0: Yeah, Frank, that was a good interview. Was so good I'm interview. like,
2: do I not fit in <laughs> with? <laughs> Max is now yeah. looking at this review. I want to. Uh- I'll
3: Ooh. send it to you. Don't worry.
2: My whole world is crumbling. I'm like. My best friends, closest friends. I do the pod. You were the best man at my wedding. That's true. why not I not fit in on the pod. <laughs> like, am I not a gentleman? <laughs> what well, what? two different questions? Wait, okay. uh, no, but what? What isn't gentle? What? How aren't I a gentleman?
1: Uh Well, your stories.
2: I'm against semi-automatic weapons. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> yeah, guys, we. F- Everyone loves them when they're all crude and stuff. Just because I'm like trying to spice it up doesn't mean I'm not a gentleman, right?
1: Um,
2: Do you have a hot take on this, Mike? I was waiting for Max's take. (laughs) I
1: would say that what you bring to the show is different than what I bring and what Mike brings to the show. And the variety is the spice of life. And I'm glad each one of us has our own Mm -hmm. lane to go in. And I think we complement each other just fine. And, and, And here's
2: the thing that I've learned is that you can't be everything to everyone. Okay. You know, if you listen to just the, the w- I did one interview on this pod with Frank D'Angelo and I thought I was a pretty good gentleman. You got great reviews. So I tracked this person down. I oh tried God. to. Uh, no. Well, well, I tried to. I don't know if a gentleman does that. Yeah, I don't know if a gentleman He <laughs> no, uh, berates
1: other comedians. So, no, it's the, not a comedian. Uh, no, but I was referring to an earlier episode, but yeah. Uh, uh, he was setting uh, evidence in the Eddie Della Seppe
0: case. <laughs> well, yeah.
2: Someone wasn't being a gentleman to me, so I fight for kindness. So- <laughs> For He's kindness. a kindness warrior. <laughs> so this is, the, the name is Hunter underscore YWG. So they don't follow. Uh, so they're such a big fan that they're commenting on this, yet they don't follow us on Instagram. So I'm like, okay, let's see the connection to the pond. They follow Taggart and Torrens, right? Okay. I'm, I'm like, okay, mate, is this Jeremy Taggart's wife or what, what's going on here? Th- that episode is the episode where I announce my veganism. Mm. Oh. So I'm like, are they just against the fact that I'm a vegan? I don't know. And the Frank Turner interview, I guess I was uh, using bad language. Right. Okay. So
0: she listened to the Frank Turner. Episodes, she listened not to the two episodes
2: is my hypothesis. Yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, like I have gentlemen on the brain. Then I'm like, shit, September 27th. I'm looking at the date. I'm like, it's my sister's birthday. What reminded me of it is she's dating a guy who is a gentleman. She said she finally, like, I've been trying to set her up with a nice guy forever. She's been dealing with a lot of people sending, you know, dick pics and very (laughs) ungentlemanly things to do. Well, a gentleman (laughs) wouldn't say the phrase dick pic, but carry on. What? A penis picture. (laughs) (laughs) So I send her a message because she, you know, she finally found a guy. She celebrated her birthday in Vegas, ironically. I go, Tiff, happy birthday. 37. Wow. Can't believe it. How's it going with your with your guy over there? This total gentleman. And she goes, he poured me drinks that had too much alcohol and I couldn't even walk. Then we went to a hockey game, but he didn't want to pay $70. So he walked back and he was really negative that the tickets were so expensive. Then got drunk on his own. And I heard the cops bring him back to our room. Then he peed on our bed, wouldn't go to sleep and lit up a cigarette in our room. (laughs) <laughs> so you, you know sometimes uh judging a book by its cover, it's not all it seems, right? Is is I guess my point. Oh, oh, so, <laughs> so this, guy's, was- this guy's considered a gentleman.
1: He
0: <laughs>
2: yes, he was. He was he was a gentleman, but you know, if he was on a pod, he might seem very nice. Yeah. But in real life, mm-hmm. you know, not so much. And that's how I'm gonna end it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was really good.
1: I think that was great. Yeah, that was awesome. That was awesome. That was really good. I'm <laughs> really uh, oh, overcompensating. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you to Kyle McLaughlin for being on the show. Again, our thoughts with the people in Las Vegas. Uh, shout outs to Tom Petty and all the great uh, work he did and all the memories he left us with. You can follow us at Michael Much on Instagram and Twitter.
1: Uh, huge shout out to Jenna Gregory and Tara Paquette uh, for providing all the artwork for the show. Shouts to Sarah McLaren. Greg Stewart, Justin Stockman,
0: Webmaster Dan. The Michael Much Podcast is produced by Max Kerman and I am your host, Mike Veerman, and Shane is one of our best friends in the world and a total gentleman. <laughs> See you next week if we don't die on the weekend.